0: All right, good morning, everybody. So this is our third week now in our uh, study of the book of Ephesians. So if you uh, have your own Bible, I encourage you to open up to where we left off last week, which is Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Ephesians 2, verse 11. So I remember that when I was in high school, there was this little-known Christian band called Switchfoot, that released this uh, quirky album called A New Way to Be Human. And uh, I got it, I really liked it. 23 years later, I think it still holds up pretty well, but uh, I guess I'd have to ask a Generation Zer to really get a good opinion on that. I, I'm not the best judge, right? But um, anyway, I bring this up because I suspect that the title song for this album. New Way to Be Human was inspired by the scripture passage that we're going to look at today. Uh, Paul is going to talk about how God has created a new humanity, a new way to be human. And we're going to try to understand what that means and how that's happened. So, let's get into it. Uh, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning uh, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather and worship, and to gather around the scriptures and your table, and Lord, we just invite you to work through these things, Lord, to speak to our hearts, uh, to transform our minds, to renew us and refresh us. We welcome you to work in us today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, therefore... In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, so let's go back to one verse there, verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. So Jesus intended to create a new humanity, a new way to be human, out of people from two existing, pre-existing ways to be human. Now, what were those two other ways? Well, one way was to be Jewish, and the other way was to be a Gentile, not Jewish. One way of being human was all oriented around the law that came through Moses, right? And the other way, the Gentile way, was not And Jesus intended to create a new humanity where it wasn't about making all the Jews Gentiles, and it wasn't about making all the Gentiles Jews, but about making a new way to be human, right? A way where both Jews and Gentiles could unite around something together and be members of the same family. And the way that Jesus did that is through the cross, Right? Paul says that the Gentiles were far away, but they were brought near how? By the blood of Christ, right? by what happened on the cross. And Paul specifically says that Jesus wanted to reconcile both Jews and Gentiles through the cross. Right? That's the language that he uses. So the cross is the key that makes it possible for Jews and Gentiles to become members of the same family. Now why is that? Why would that be? Well, one of the reasons that Jews and Gentiles were separated was because of that Mosaic law. Uh, The Jews were committed to following the law, or at least their interpretation of it. And when you're committed to following the law, there's a lot of things in there that separate you from the rest of the mass of humanity. For example, there's all these rules about what you can eat and how that food should be prepared. So if that's really important to you, you're unlikely to go into the home of a Gentile and eat with them because you don't know. They might serve you something that is going to make you ceremonially unclean, right? Either because of what they give you or because of the way that they prepared it. So the law enforced the separation between Jews and Gentiles. But Paul says that Jesus destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And this is interesting. He did it by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now that word, uh, that, those two words, set aside, it means something like to make useless or uh, to vanish away, to do away with. What happened on the cross to Jesus' body did away with certain commands and regulations. It made them useless. Now, this isn't a perfect analogy for what happened on the cross, but I think it might help a little bit in conceptualizing it. So think of your credit card bill. right? Every month, you get your credit card bill, and there's an option where you can just pay the minimum rather than the full debt. And it's a bad idea to do that, right, because you're gonna have a lot of debt left over and the interest on credit cards is horrendous, right, so if you just pay that minimum amount pretty quick your debt is gonna spiral out of control, it's it's gonna grow exponentially, right, but you can just pay the minimum every month. Well, a lot of the laws in the Mosaic law were kind of like making minimum payments on a massive debt. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was like the complete payment for that entire debt, or the announcement that the debt has been canceled. Right? So now, those minimum payments aren't necessary. If your entire credit card bill was paid it would be pointless to pay the $35 or whatever right for a minimum payment every month because the debt has been canceled it has been taken care of it's been set aside vanished away right so on the cross jesus offers his body for the sins of the world he he pays our debt in full as we say every week at communion right the body of christ given for you Because the body of Christ was given for you, for us, certain laws have been rendered useless, pointless, done away with. And particularly the laws that enforce this separation between the two ways of being human, Jew and Gentile. Now here's another reason why the cross destroyed the barrier between Jews and Gentiles. When people start to believe that the creator of the universe took on human flesh and then willingly gave his life, suffered and died on a cross, bore the pain of that humiliation and that torture for our sake. When people start to believe that, their perspective changes. Right? If that's what God is like, God is a peace seeker. Right. If that's what God is like, God goes to great lengths to pursue reconciliation and relationship with people. If that's what God is like, God is forgiving and merciful. And if that's what God is like, then we should be too. Right. We should want to see reconciliation and peace between the typical divisions of humanity. So... The new way of being human is a way of being that is centered around Jesus, right? A way of being where we recognize that Jesus is Lord, and we recognize what happened on the cross as the most full revelation of what God is like. It reveals God as a reconciling peacemaker who is willing to go to extraordinary lengths, right, to welcome us into his family, Now, there's two analogies that I like to give for what what it's like to step into this new way of being human that's centered around Jesus. If you've been here for a while, you've probably heard me use both of them. One is the wave, and one is the solar system. So, the wave is, you want to think of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his teaching, like this earthquake in history that then produces a tidal wave. And to step into the new way of being human is to choose to move into the path of that wave and let that wave crash over you. Right? And, and when it crashes over you, you're willingly saying, OK, I want my old way of thinking, my old way of life to be buried. And I want to rise to new life with a new way of thinking. OK, I want to get caught up and carried in that wave that Jesus started. And the other analogy that I like to use for stepping into the new life is a solar system. So, you know how the solar system looks, right? There's the sun at the center of it, and there's a bunch of planets that orbit around it. And you want to think of each planet in the solar system as representing some different aspect of your your life, right? Like how you view yourself, how you spend your money, uh, your career, all that stuff, right? So the question is, what is the center? What holds it together? What is the thing that sets the trajectory of all these planets in your life? Well, the new way of being human is a way of being where you decide Jesus is going to be the center of gravity. Jesus is going to be the thing that sets the trajectory, sets the orbit for every aspect of my life. Now, sometimes uh, we don't really want to experience this new way of being human if we're honest we don't really want to step into the tidal wave we just want to dip our toes into the Jesus kiddie pool and uh, we don't really want Jesus to be the center of our solar system we want ourselves and our own desires to be at the center we want Jesus to be you know a little planet that orbits around what we want right But when we live like that, we miss out on the new way of being human. And we miss out on the way of being human that can bring reconciliation and peace to groups of people that are divided. One thing I want us to recognize about this new way of being human is that it flows out of our identity. In other words, it flows out of how we view ourselves. How we view ourselves is important. And in order to experience the new way of being human, we have to be willing to give less priority to most of the things that people give priority to when understanding what their identity is. So, let me give a couple examples. I have three. So, the new way of being human is to have an identity that is, number one, not based primarily on ancestry. Not based primarily on ancestry. Remember, so Paul begins this passage by talking about people who are Gentiles by birth. A lot of Jews at the time would have thought, well, if you're a Gentile by birth, then you are somebody who is excluded from the family of God. You don't have the right Pedigree, right? But Paul says, Paul, a Jew, right? He declares that God has brought these Gentiles by birth into the family of God through the blood of Christ. Their ancestry, their genetic heritage is not determinative of their identity, right? That's secondary or tertiary, right? It's not primary. And so, what that means for us today is that genetic ancestry should never create a wall of hostility in the church. And of course, what is a terrible shame is that there are times throughout the history of the church where that most certainly has happened. You know, times where certain people bearing the name of Christian have discriminated against people on the basis of ancestry skin color, ethnicity. Now, I'm sure I don't need to rehash the entire history of that. Uh, we're all familiar with it, but there were plenty of people bearing the name of Christian in history who supported and defended slavery and Jim Crow laws and all that stuff, and that is shameful. You know, there, there is a well-known fundamentalist Christian university in America that banned interracial dating until the year 2000. Two thousand, yeah. I think what happened was they realized they were going to lose federal funding. Right? I'm surprised it took that long. Earlier this year, I read Philip Yancey's autobiography. Does anybody know who Philip Yancey is? So he's an excellent author. I would highly recommend his books. Um, he's a Christian and he writes books about his faith. Uh, Usually they have themes of, you know, dealing with suffering or um, dealing with uh, uh, questions like how does prayer work and that sort of thing and uh, dealing with doubt and and all that and I think he's just, he's a really perceptive, thoughtful person and and a great writer and in this autobiography called Where the Light Fell, he recalls uh, his upbringing in the 50s and 60s in Georgia Growing up in fundamentalist Christian churches. And I just have to say that my jaw was dropping throughout it as he described just the pervasive racism in these churches, where you would have preachers in the pulpit saying just extraordinarily racist things, uh, you know, sometimes as a joke, right? And doing this. On Sunday mornings and doing it uh, sometimes at, at, at Christian camps and that sort of thing, he describes some things that I don't even want to repeat, but um, just, just terrible stuff. There is there's a long history of many white Christians in America putting up a wall of hostility between themselves and black Christians. And I think it's important for us to recognize that what they were doing was not some minor error. You know, I don't like to use the word heresy uh, freely. I like to be very selective about when I say that's heresy. But that's heresy. That's a good time to use that word, right? Because what they were doing was undermining the very heart of the gospel Right, which is that Jesus died on the cross to tear down walls of hostility between people groups. To tear down walls that have been built up on the basis of ancestry. And yet some people in the church insisted on building those walls back up and and defending those walls, trying to use scripture to defend those walls. That's a tragedy. If we want to embrace the new way of being human, we need to be committed to bringing down whatever remains of those walls of hostility between ethnic groups. And we should see that as a priority because that's part of what Jesus died to accomplish. Okay, so the new way of being human is to have an identity that is not based primarily on ancestry, and it's also not based primarily on nationality so notice that Paul says that Christ himself is our peace and there's a meaning to that that is deeper than we might realize so back in the Roman Empire the emperor would be called our peace because it, it, the idea was that the emperor was the one that could bring stability and you know happiness to society and so when paul says that christ himself is our peace he's also saying the emperor is not our peace right he's making a political statement he's saying that our hope and our trust is not in rome it's not in the government but it's in Jesus. So, the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, am I looking to the American government for peace, or am I looking to Christ? Because Christ should be our peace, not America. Now, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with having a love for our country. No, a love for country is a love for home, and it's good to have a love for home. It's not a bad thing. I am very glad to be an American citizen, and I recognize that in the grand scheme of history, I am an extraordinarily privileged person, and one of the reasons that I am extraordinarily privileged privileged is because I live in a country that values human rights, that values things like freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so glad, and I think that those are values uh, that are worth defending. But, my hope, my peace, is not based in America. Right? I am not looking to America to bring peace on earth. That's not going to happen. And I certainly don't believe that God cares about Americans any more than he cares about people from any other nation. Right? As John's vision in the book of Revelation reminds us, the kingdom of God is made up of people from every tribe, every nation, every language. And that truth should be evident in how we view our own nation and how we view other nations. And unfortunately, many Christians do slip back into the old way of being human in this respect. Um, I'm going to share a story which I actually shared here about four years ago, but I figure four years is quite a while, so maybe you've forgotten it, or, or you weren't here. I have a friend Who is also a pastor different denomination he's never been here Uh, he's in a different state southern direction and um, so one year around July 4th weekend he was putting together the worship service and he decided not to have any patriotic songs in the worship service. Now, the reason he did this was not because he hates America. He's happy to be American. He loves his country. Um, But he did it because he felt like the worship service isn't really the appropriate place for patriotic songs, because the kingdom of God is much bigger than America. It's a, it's a kingdom of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, and he just wanted the worship service to reflect that, right? So he made this decision not to have any patriotic songs in the in the weekends service. Well, he almost got fired for that. Uh, the, the church was livid. And there were people who were trying to force him out. Um, there were special meetings that had to be held. There were apologies that had to be made, and he was really on thin ice for a while. And at one point, he was trying to explain why he had made this decision, and he said something like, "Well, I just I, I don't want us to idolize America," and and one of the the. Leaders in the church, one of the longtime members, a guy who had been an elder, he, he, was, he was very angry and he said, well, I do idolize America. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, maybe you agree with my friend's decision. Maybe you don't. But uh, can't we at least acknowledge that the people overreacted? Can't we at least agree that no country should be idolized? That no country is worthy of the same level of honor as God himself? Can't we at least acknowledge that there is a difference between the kingdom of God and America? When a country is idolized, when it becomes an object of worship and a person's primary sense of identity its citizens can start justifying a lot of terrible things to people in other nations. Because they don't matter as much. They're not on God's side, right? And Christ wants to deliver us from that kind of thinking. The new way of being human is an identity that is not based primarily on nationality. Finally, One more, the new way of being human is to have an identity that is not based primarily on following religious laws. Not based primarily on following religious laws. Now, I want to be very careful not to be misunderstood here, okay? I'm not saying that how we live doesn't matter to God. Not at all. If you were here last week, hopefully you remember me saying that God has saved us out of the patterns of this world so that we can do good works. Right? That was a verse that we looked at last week. God wants to save us out of the patterns of this world and create us into his masterpieces, which, is, which means he wants to make it so that we can better reflect him and his goodness to the world. Right? How we live matters. We're supposed to obey Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. So I'm not saying that how we live doesn't matter. But the new way of being human, the way that is ordered around Jesus, it changes our understanding of, one, what obedience looks like, and, two, why we obey. It changes our understanding of, one, what obedience looks like, and, two, why we obey. So let's let's talk very briefly about both of these things. What obedience looks like. When we read the Gospels it's clear that Jewish people when they thought of being obedient to God, they they thought of a lot of things like avoiding certain foods, how you prepared your food, uh, maintaining separation from the Gentiles, not going into Gentile homes, uh, doing what you can to stay ceremonially clean for when you go to the temple, uh, offering sacrifices at the temple, But when Jesus came, he encouraged people to think differently about what real obedience to God looks like. He said very controversial things. He said things like, it is not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth. In other words, it's not the food you eat that defiles you. It's the kind of words that you use when you're speaking to other people. And he said that what God really desires is not sacrifices, but mercy, right? In other words, showing mercy to other people. That's what God values. And Jesus routinely criticized the Pharisees, the religious ruling, uh, ruling uh, class, <clears throat> for caring about the wrong things. There's this great moment where he says, you blind guys, guides, you guys strain out a gnat but you swallow a camel. And the reason he said that is because, you know, the Pharisees being very serious about wanting to stay ceremonially clean, they knew that they weren't supposed to eat gnats. That was forbidden in the law. So every every time they went to drink something, they would make sure to strain it out first just in case a gnat had gotten somewhere in there. So Jesus says, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow the camel. And what he means is, you you neglect the more important things, like justice and caring for the poor. You strain out the nap, but it's like you eat a camel, right? Because you don't care about what really matters. Now, I don't know personally any Christians today who um, are insisting that we follow all of the Mosaic Law and stay ceremonially clean according to... Uh, what it says, maybe you do know some people like that. I I know they're out there. Uh, I don't know any myself, but I do think that there are always Christians who strain out gnats while swallowing camels, just like Jesus said, not literally, but you know, in other ways. So, for example, in those fundamentalist churches that Philip Yancey grew up in. Uh, obedience to God meant things like not playing cards, not going to the movies, right? Not dancing, not smoking, uh, not using certain quote bad words, right? And if you did any of those things, you had this idea that, oh wow, I have put my soul in eternal danger. You know, by, the kind of, by not listening to church music or something like that. But at the same time, these people were supporting Jim Crow laws. And they were dehumanizing their brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? They are straining out a gnat, but swallowing a camel. They thought of obedience as following a list of rules rather than loving their neighbors, right? Which Christ says is actually the real point of the laws, to try and structure a society so that, that our neighbors are loved, right? When Jesus is at the center, he changes the way we think about what real obedience looks like. Real obedience looks like removing the walls of hostility that, that separate people, It looks like reaching out to people to make peace. It looks like being merciful. It looks like sacrificial love. And secondly, when we're experiencing the new way to be human, it changes why we obey, too. This is my last point today. When we're stuck in the old way of being human... We think that we need to obey in order to earn salvation, right? That if we do enough good things, then we can earn the identity of child of God, that we're working our way up to that identity, right? But that's backwards. Remember the verse that we looked at last week? It is by grace that you have been saved, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast So our identity as children of God, it is a gift. It's a gift that we receive. We're not supposed to obey it in order to earn it. We're supposed to obey because it's been given to us. That's not the way we tend to think in the old way of being human. When we find our identity in obedience to the law, That doesn't lead anywhere good, because it can really only lead to two places. One is insecurity, right? Am I doing enough good things to be a child of God? You can never know for sure. You could always do more, right? So you're going to be filled with insecurity about your standing before God. The other danger it can lead you into is arrogance. You can actually think, I am doing enough good things to have good standing with God. What's wrong with the rest of you, right? So you become judgmental. Both of those are no good. But when we recognize that God has preached peace to us through Jesus, that he's reconciled us to himself through the cross, then we can have an identity that is secure. Right? We can offer peace to others because we know that God has offered peace to us. We can help tear down the walls of hostility that separate people groups because we know that God has torn down the wall of hostility between us and him. We can be merciful because we know that God is merciful. That's the new way of being human. To find our identity, not mainly in ancestry or in nationality or in following the religious laws, but in the mercy of God. That is the good news. That's the new way to be human. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that if we are finding our identity in anything other than your mercy and the cross, that you would help us to set aside those identities, um, to submit them to our primary identity as your children, Lord, I pray that as we do that, uh, you would help us to be peacemakers, that you would help us to reflect the same kind of uh, reconciliatory spirit that you showed on the cross, Lord. Help us to be the kind of people that help to bridge the divisions in our world and in our culture through love. We pray that your spirit would fill us and empower us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.